Well, good morning, church. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, church. Do you have your Bibles? If you do, say amen. Amen. All right. Pull out your copy of God's Word, and if you would, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And as you're turning there, allow me to pray just one more time. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for this wonderful morning. We thank you, God, for your grace. Father, we do thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the women among us. Father, we're so grateful for the grace, for the gift that they are to us. We thank you for our moms. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, how you tell us that you will comfort over us as a mother comforts over her children. And so, God, we come to you in that spirit. Father, we come ready, willing to receive the words that you have for us, the touch that you may have for us. May it come from your word now in these moments to come, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church said? Amen. Amen. So we are in our series called Clarity. Clarity. What are we seeking clarity for? We're seeking clarity for our new name. Our new name, say it with me, say Mission Church. It just rolls off the tongue. And so we want clarity on why the name. What does it mean to be Mission Church? What does it mean to be a church on mission? We've been asking these two questions. What has the Lord called us to be? Who has the Lord called us to be? And what has the Lord called us to do? We've said this, he's called us to be the church. It's not just a name, it's an identity, it's who we are. What's he called us to be most about? He's called us to be most about the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is at the center of it all. And so I don't know about you, but when I'm seeking clarity, when I'm trying to identify or I'm trying to get caught up on something new or just trying to get my head wrapped around something, it is really important for me to have a model, something or someone to follow after, someone that I can replicate, something that I can look at and then begin to put my life or put my understanding together around it. Do you have a model? From the time I was young, the Lord has blessed me with models that I can look towards. Certainly on this Mother's Day, I hope we would all say, we would long to say yes. The moms among us would long to be models and how we would desire to look after our own parents as models. For me, that's certainly true, but when I was young, my grandfather, you've heard me speak of him, was especially my model. I went where he went, I did what he did, I walked around pretty much with a rag in my back pocket all of the time, uh, because that's what my grandfather did. I told you last week, when I learned that I couldn't see, uh, that I actually got glasses just like my grandfather, and some of you thought maybe I chickened out by not showing the picture of exactly what I look like. And so here it is. Now come on, come on, is that everything? Is that not everything that it has, uh, was uh, shaped up to be? Come on, you can take that down. <laughs> on a man's 40th birthday, perhaps you can see how far I've come. That's what I look like when I met Robin. That's exact. No, you don't. No, you don't. Come on. <laughs> so, 40. That's what I look like when I met Robin, by the way. <laughs> Models. As a kid... It was my grandfather. When it comes to hard work, it was my father. When it comes to loving people, it was my mother. Um, When it came time for me to learn how to 
pour concrete. It was a, name by, a man by the name of Joe Dale. I can sling a concrete trial like nobody's business because Joe Dale took me under his wing. All throughout high school, I had grown men, 40s, 50s, 60 years old, who uh, took me camping and took other young men who were teenagers camping. We sat around campfires, and they said things like this. The guys back at the railroad think we're crazy this weekend, jury. <laughs> Actually, they said it just like that. They don't, they don't even they don't understand why in the world we'd be out here in the middle of the pouring rain sitting around with you boys. I said, listen, there's no place we'd rather be than right here with you all. Models, we need models. When it comes to leadership, these men, Bill, Big Bill Jones, Dave Sorelli, Ken Decker, Rob Rhodes, those were the men that sat around those campfire with a ragtag bunch of teenage boys who said, hey, tomorrow you have the devotional, come ready. Models, do you have some? When it comes to ministry, I've, have, I've had some of the greatest mentors and models a man could have. But for me, I'm uniquely blessed to have a father-in-law who served in ministry for many, 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 many decades. Faithful. A man above reproach, not a blemish upon his name, and who has four children who are walking with the Lord. And I think about the example that he was to me as I married his daughter and how I learned how to read the Christmas story on a Christmas morning simply by being in his presence. I'd never seen such a thing. I think about the, the wonder of this model that someone who was in the work of ministry all of his life would raise four children who are still walking with the Lord and that he would have two of his daughters marry pastors. How he comes and he prays with me. We have a standing appointment every Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. And so if you try to reach me then, most days, most Fridays, you'll know that my father-in-law's with me. Models. Do you have models? In important areas of life, we all need models. When it comes to your spiritual life, do you have a model? Do you have someone's face? Do you have someone's name who comes to mind? How about this question? Is it possible that your face, that your name came to somebody's mind? If a face and a name came to your mind, thank God for mentors. Thank God for models. But if your, your face or your name didn't come to somebody's mind, now, now would be the day to change that. For whom has the Lord called you to be a model for? Oh, how my heart longs to be a, a model for these boys. How my heart longs to be a model for these boys. On this Mother's Day, I'm reminded of how my wife most days is a much better model of Jesus to them than I could ever be. You see, um, I show you this picture today because I want to let my church family know that all four of these Lingenfelter boys are officially ours and we can model for them here forward. <laughs> you see, the Lord is good. 
He desires for us to have models. He desires for us to be a model. But listen, the Lord Jesus Christ desires for us to find our model in him. For anybody who is worth following, anyone who is worth modeling, will be the one who is actually modeling the greatest model. Paul said this, come on, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so when it comes to modeling your life, when it comes to being a model for somebody else, when it comes to intentionality and integrity, when it comes to love and legacy, when it comes to ministry and mission, Jesus Christ is our model. Come on, tell me who our model is. Say Jesus. Jesus is our model. And today we find clarity in this. We find clarity in this, that Jesus Christ is our model for the mission. He is the master builder for sure. The church is being built by Jesus. We personally, as individuals of the church, as disciples of Jesus Christ, are being built by him. He's carrying forth the mission. But today, he's inviting us to come along. He's inviting us to be used by him. But we have to follow after him as our model. So if you're in, just, just say amen today. Are you in? You ready to go? Let's say it. Come on. John chapter 20, here we go. John chapter 20, read with me. Just a few simple verses today. You know that I like to give the context prior to reading the passage, but I think it will take care of itself as we read today. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, I'll lift up your voice. What is the first day of the week? It happens to be today. What is today? Today's Sunday. Look, it's not just any Sunday, though. You see, it's, it's actually that day. It's that Sunday. You could probably put a capital T on the word that because the word that Sunday here actually is speaking about Resurrection Sunday. This particular passage, actually, the events we're about to read actually take place on the very night of Jesus Christ's resurrection. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, Sunday. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you have forgiven the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it will be withheld. Verse 19, note this, the Great Commission. Has it ever occurred to you that on the night of Jesus' resurrection, he actually commissioned his men? Verse 19, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As my Father commissioned me, I'm commissioning you. In other words, he's saying, listen, I am the model. Follow me as I follow after my Father. Go wherever I lead you. Preach the message that I give you. Go the places that I send you. Fulfill the mission that I have for you. Model your life after mine. As the Father sent me, so now am I sending you. 
Four marks is what we have today. Four marks of a life lived on mission, which is modeled after Christ. Four marks of a life modeled after Christ lived on mission. Here's the first one. A life lived on mission, which is modeled after Christ, will exhibit the joy of eternal life. If you're living on mission, if you're modeling your life after Jesus, this text makes it abundantly clear that you will exhibit the joy, you will exhibit the joy of eternal life. So take a look at the text with me. Here we have the disciples. Again, on the night of the resurrection, and the text makes it abundantly clear this. The doors were locked. The doors were locked. Why the, why the emphasis on the doors being locked? Anyone? Well, the text tells us, I see two reasons why uh, the author, John, chooses to tell us that the doors are locked. And the first is this, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. You see, reason number one, reason number one why the doors are locked are the very reason why every single night of my married life, I have to get up out of my warm bed and check to make sure that the door is locked. Anyone? Come on, is there anybody, any other man in this room where it, seems, it just seems like every single evening we lay down and she's like, did you lock the door? Yes. Are you sure? <laughs> no matter what I say, I'm about to get out of this bed <laughs> and check that door. Why? Because for fear, for fear, for fear, for fear. These guys, these guys huddled up in this room, just, just shirked being arrested by the skin of their teeth. They just watched their best friend, their leader, their, their mentor, their model be crucified upon a cross. They're wallowing in failure, some of them ashamed of the way that they acted, and here they are, Doors locked. Why? Because they believe that it's very possible that they could be next. And so this door is locked out of fear. Have you ever felt that kind of fear? Reason number one, the door was locked is fear. Reason number two, why I believe the emphasis is on the fact that the door is locked is because it highlights this next part. And Jesus came and stood among them and Jesus came and stood among them. The door was locked, but all of a sudden, beam me up, Scotty, Jesus shows up and stands among them. Either Jesus walks through the door, or all of a sudden, he just kind of, here he is. Can you imagine that moment? These guys are already sitting there in fear. and It's like, whoa. And if you're Jesus, what's the first thing you're saying to them? Uh, I don't know. How many times did Jesus seek to prepare them for his crucifixion? How many times did he say, I'm going to the cross? How many times did he say, hey, three days? What you need to understand is this. Already on this one day, Jesus has already made three appearances to people in his resurrected form. We know that the three went to the tomb. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. We know in, Luke, in Mark chapter 16, we know that he's already appeared to the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. They would have come back, Luke 24, and told about that. Peter himself 
It's recorded in another gospel. It's seeing him. And so here we find the disciples on the night of the resurrection still huddled in fear. If you're Jesus, how, how are you feeling right now? Fortunately, we're not Jesus. Anyone a little hard on the kids this week? When you're feeling a little disappointed, anyone thinking that your first words coming out might just be a tad bit snarky? A little sarcasm in your compliment to these men who, who I don't know, just walked with for three and a half years, walked with you, talked with you, fed you, healed people in front of you, and now here you are huddled up in a room I haven't just been crucified, and what are you doing here? I don't know, all huddled around in fear of your own lives. The point is, Jesus' disciples, while huddled in fear of death, come face to face with their Savior who just defeated it. And his very first words to them are, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And now hear me, hear me. Everything in me wants to hyper-spiritualize Jesus' greeting right now. Everything in me wants me to say, I want to say things like, oh, when they heard the word peace right there, they were probably completely overwhelmed and peace flooded their soul. But here's what I, in my study, here's what I learned. Peace be with you is actually a common greeting. Peace be with you is just like saying shalom. Peace be with you is kind of like saying, hey, how's it going? Now, come on, stop and think about this for a second. Here these guys are all huddled up in fear and Jesus comes walking in and says, hey, how's it going? That's how they could have potentially heard this. What I love here is the emphasis isn't necessarily on the words Jesus spoke, although you're going to hear in a second those words are precious. What I love about this moment is simultaneously as Jesus says, peace be with you, he isn't just speaking words in this moment. Simultaneously, look at the text. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And when he said this, as he said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. We have a Savior who not only speaks, but he acts. And so he comes and he gives his disciples exactly what they need. And what they need in this moment is reassurance. What they need in this moment is proof. What he, what he does for them, he's, it's almost like Jesus is saying, I know. I know. By God's grace and your failure, you don't have a high priest who, who cannot sympathize with your weakness. In your times of disappointment, in your times of anxiousness, in your times of fear, I think what this moment in time 
makes abundantly clear to us is this, is that Jesus Christ knows. He knows. And as the words come out, as the words come out of Jesus' mouth, he says, peace be with you. We know, we know that Jesus will, don't miss here, don't miss this. He will rebuke his disciples at some point for their lack of faith. He will set them up straight. But in this moment, in this particular recording, what does is, what is John lead with? He leads with the Lord's compassion. He leads with the Lord's grace. He leads with the Lord's thoughtfulness. What an incredible mercy of Jesus. The disciples are privileged to touch or at least have the opportunity to. We're never shown in the scriptures that they did. The disciples laid eyes on our glorified future. The disciples looked at eternity. The disciples laid eyes on eternal life. How blessed were they? How blessed were they in this moment that Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, would stand among them? If you consider them blessed, then consider verse 29 in the same chapter about yourself. Blessed are you because you see and believe. Blessed are those who will never see but still believe. You see, when you believe, when you see with the, with the eyes of your own heart, Look at what the text says about the disciples here. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. There are times that I just don't like the English language. There are times when our language just pales. It just falls so incredibly short. When you hear the word glad, it just sounds pathetic. The word glad here does not hold a candle in our English language to the emotion that the disciples felt in this moment. They saw eternity. They saw eternity. They were in the presence of their risen Savior. He was fulfilling his promises, and they were glad. And they said, isn't this neat? <laughs> they were out of their stinking minds over joy. Joy flooded their soul. Their fear, their anxiousness, their failure, their doubt was all replaced in this moment. When Jesus Christ fills your heart, when the eyes of your soul lay upon his eternal existence, hear me. This is the anecdote to your fear. This is the anecdote to your doubt. This is the anecdote to the pain that you're carrying in your soul. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's our joy. He is our strength. Listen, a life modeled after Christ, a life lived on mission for him, is a life filled with joy. A mark, a mark that our church is actually living on mission is that the joy in this room will be palpable. It's that people walk into this place. There's an inexplicable spirit that fills the air. Yes, there's a seriousness among us, for God has called us to serious work. But if we don't smile, if we don't laugh, if we don't enjoy, 
glad. Carol. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Are you feeling weak? Come on. Are you feeling weak? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Notice, notice you don't get strong and then feel joy. You don't get strong and then feel joy. It's the actual joy of the Lord that strengthens you. And so what are we called to do? We're called to rejoice until we feel joy. We're called to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Philippians chapter 4, 4. That is an imperative. That is a command. Rejoice. I'm commanding you, God says, to rejoice. And you just keep disciplining yourself to rejoice until you feel the emotion of joy. You may be thinking to yourself, how in the world is that possible? Look at the circumstances of my life. Hear me. This much I can promise you. I want to say this very gracefully because I know that each of you carry your own burden that's very heavy to you. I promise you that circumstance will end. It will. We're not going to live this life forever. We're not going to live this life forever. And some of us have lost our joy because we're trapped here. We're trapped now. We're trapped on what's happening to me and what's happening around me. And what I, what I want you to catch today is this. When you have experienced, when you have embraced, when you believe that eternal life is real, joy, joy, inexplicable joy will succumb. It will overtake it all. But sometimes we have to choose to rejoice until we feel joy. And how do we choose to rejoice? It is not a muscling within us. It's a fixation on heaven is for real. It's a fixation on it's not always going to be this way. And one day in eternity, you're going to look back and realize what felt like such a long time was merely a blink to the Lord. See, the reality of eternal life, it consumes us. Listen to 1 Peter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's us. And though you do not see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now we're talking. Those are some words that help me understand. Glad. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you see it? Once you've come face to face with the risen Christ, let me repeat myself, joy will fill your soul. One of the greatest evidences of salvation is joy, and one of the greatest alarms is the lack thereof. How's your joy? How's your joy? Mission Church, come on. If we're going to be on mission, we have to be motivated by joy. We are in the business of lightening up cranky Christians. Mission Church is in the business of lightening up cranky Christians. If you're sitting here cranky this morning, welcome to Mission Church. You are going to absolutely hate it here until you lighten up. I feel like we just say amen for fun right there. All right, somebody, somebody cared. You walk in this place, we hope you feel joy, and I hope you take some with you. 
Joy is honey for the mission. Joy is honey for the mission. When Christ is our model, we will be just unbelievably consumed with his joy. We'll exhibit the joy of eternal life. Number two, we'll extend the peace of a forgiven life. Number two, we will extend the peace of a forgiven life. And so Jesus greets them right out of the gate saying, peace be with you. And you know how much I really wanted to just launch into that, but I have to let the text be the text. And it does really serve as a standard greeting. But now this, Jesus repeats himself. Jesus comes in, stands among them, verse 5, peace be with you. When he had said that, he shows him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now verse 21, look. Then Jesus said to them again. Jesus says it to them again. This is no standard greeting the second time. For now Jesus comes to them again and he says it, peace be with you. Now that he repeats himself, it's on. There is a theological point that Christ, that John, the disciple, is making now. You see, prior to the cross, Jesus Christ promised to bring peace. Prior to the cross, he says this in John 14, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now that the work of the cross is complete, now that death has been defeated, peace has now been secured. Here on this resurrection night, here on this resurrection night, count this, three days after proclaiming it is finished, Jesus is now making good on his promise, and he's looking at his disciples and saying, peace. Peace. Accepting Jesus' work on the cross is what's going to bring peace into your life. You experience joy when you understand that eternity is in his grasp, but you experience peace when you come to understand that the work has been accomplished. What you and I have is a very message of peace. Ephesians chapter 2, 17 says this, Jesus came, if he is our model, hear this, he came proclaiming peace to those who were near and peace to those who were far off. Romans 5.1, your pens are moving today. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Consider how precious these words are to his disciples right now. To all of you who have failed me, peace be with you. To those who turned your back on me during my trial, peace be with you. For those who are huddled in fear, even when I've told you time and time and time and time and time again what was going to happen, peace be with you. For those who feel forsaken, even when I told you I would never forsake you, 
Peace be with you. Peace. Jesus was not out of the grave more than a day, and already everyone who came in contact with him, who believed, their souls and their hearts were flooded with joy and peace. How long should it take for you, when you come into the presence of, Lord, of the Lord, for your soul to begin to be flooded with joy and peace? I'm not asking you to become ignorant or to turn your head to the circumstances of your life, but I am asking you to be open to God's incredible, miraculous, spiritual work in your life. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. A life on mission, a church on mission will be flooded with joy and we will be filled with peace. We ought not be rattled. We ought not be fickle. We ought not be tossed to and fro by the news that we watch or the accusations that we face or whatever it may be. happening in your life. Peace. Keep eternity in view. A life lived on mission will exhibit the joy of eternal life. It will extend peace. It will extend peace, the peace of a forgiven life, for we've been forgiven. That's why Jesus said, why could he say peace? Because three days prior he said it is finished. The debt's been paid. The ransom secured. Hearts can be forgiven because I have paid the price. Exhibit joy. Extend peace. Now, point three. Emulate the devotion of a sent life. We then will emulate the devotion of a sent life. If Jesus Christ is our model, if we're living a life on mission, if we believe that Christ is building his church, then we as a church, we as individual believers will all take up this. We will emulate the devotion of a sent life <clears throat> with our hearts full of joy, with peace now extended. Jesus Christ actually gives them this brief commissioning in verse 21. Again, he says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Just as the Father has sent me, just as the Father has sent me, 40 times in the Gospel of John alone, we are told that Jesus was sent by his Father. 40 times. You think John wanted us to know where Jesus came from? Forty times we're told that Jesus was sent. The most famous one, obviously, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Listen, the, the Father sent the, his Son with the motivation of love. What does it mean to be sent as Jesus was sent? Except that we are sent with a motivation of love. He sent his son to actually embody the love of the Father among us. John 15, 13, hear it. Greater love has no man than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. How much love is that? 
How much love is that? John 15, 9. As the Father loved me, so I loved you. Come on now, abide in my love. How much does Jesus Christ love you? How much do you think God the Father loved Christ the Son? How much? Just get your head around that. There is no scale that could weigh. There is no tape that could measure the breadth of the Father's love for the Son. And Jesus Christ says this, the same way that the Father loves me, I love you right now. The devotion, the devotion, the devotion that the Son had for the Father, the love that was demonstrated. What does it mean that we are sent as Christ himself was sent? catch this as well. Jesus loved his disciples then, and he loves his disciples now. Jesus was sent then, and actually the tense of the sending here tells us this. Jesus is still in a state of sentness. This particular sentence is written in the present perfect tense. That means that he was sent, that he is sent, and he has been sent, and he is sent. He's still sent. Jesus Christ is in a continual state of sentness. As the Father has sent me, as I am on mission, as I am about my work, I have modeled for you, and now I'm going to continually empower you as you are my hands and feet on this earth. Listen, you and I do not take over the mission of Jesus. We merely submit ourselves to the work that he is doing. He's the master builder. You see, what it means to be sent as Jesus is sent is to be devoted as Jesus was devoted. A lot of verses for you today, but you'll notice that almost all of them come out of this one gospel. How devoted was Jesus to the Father? John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, my Father's work. John 5, 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. How devoted was the son to the father? John 10, 37. Listen, listen. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. If the words that you hear do not match up with the words in this book, walk away. Christ is our model of devotion. John 17, 4, one more. I have glorified you on earth, the Son says to the Father. Jesus Christ said to his Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Note this, Jesus Christ is sending you. Jesus Christ is the commissioner. Jesus Christ is the one in charge. Jesus Christ is the one to whom we answer to for this mission. Jesus Christ sent the disciples. The Father sent the Son, and now Jesus serves as the master builder. Wow. 
He's the orchestrator of the mission. We don't, let me say it again, we don't take over the mission of Jesus. We are merely the stewards of a work that he is still performing. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his voice by God's grace. We must always look to Jesus for the words that we speak and for the actions that we perform. Now catch this. Key word and all that I just said is we. So just to make sure you're all still with me, can you just say we? Say we. We. We, we collectively as a church are sent by Jesus. You individually are sent by Jesus, but we collectively stand as one of the greatest, most identifiable apologetics of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If a church can stay unified, hell look out. If a church can actually stay on mission, we have a shot. John 17 says this, that they may all be one. This is the prayer of Jesus. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that... Why does Jesus want us to be one? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's our unity that keeps us on mission, church. It's our unity that helps us accomplish anything for the Lord. It's our unity that will be the apologetic that causes the world to look up and see. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as you and I are one. Did you check that? Did you catch that? The glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one. Where's the glory of the Lord shine the brightest? But among the unity, among the unity of his very body, the church. Come on, this is clarity. This is clarity. Are you the church? Are you individually the church? Yes. But where does the Lord manifest his glory? In the unity of this family that wouldn't even otherwise like each other except for Jesus has adopted us as his own. A devoted church on mission will be completely unified in Christ. That's not saying we won't have our bouts, we won't have our struggles. doesn't mean we don't have to stand up for truth from time to time with one another. But in the end, the gospel of Jesus Christ must prevail. In the end, we've got a major on the majors. In the end... May Christ in his name alone be the one that is hailed above all. The goal is to see that Jesus is above all. Yes, there's structure within a church. Yes, there's leadership within a church. Yes, there are programs within a church. Topics for later on in our series for sure. But now as we enter in gaining clarity, let us put this flag in the ground. Jesus Christ, he's the builder. He is the master. He is the one in charge. He is the one to whom we are all devoted to. May we find our unity in him, not in the programs, not merely in the leadership, not merely in the place, in Jesus Christ. May that be our strength, our unity, our oneness. Amen. Last point. We'll embrace the power of a spirit-led life. If Christ is our model, this being the first of the Great Commission statements, think about it. Jesus Christ gave the Great Commission on Resurrection Night. We'll exhibit joy. We'll extend peace. We'll emulate devotion that he emulated. 
And then finally, we will embrace the power of a spirit-led life. How is it possible? Verse 22, I love this moment. Put yourself in this moment. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. I have no idea what that looked like. I have no idea what that sounded like. Oh, but by God's grace, how I would long to know what that feels like. Could you imagine standing in the presence of the resurrected Jesus? Him clarifying the purpose of your life. I've trained you. I've taught you. You've seen me live a sent life, and so now I'm sending you. And um, how it's all going to go down is like this. Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. What in the world do we do with this? This much we know for sure. It's all made possible through a spirit-empowered life. This much we know for sure. From this moment forward, everything is going to be made possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, joy. Peace. Purpose. Grace. Power. It all comes from the Holy Spirit. How incredibly gracious, how incredibly merciful is it of Jesus Christ on the night when they, when he could have piled on additional guilt. Here you are huddled in fear. Three people have already told you that I'm risen. Instead, he offers them peace. Instead, he brings them joy. Instead, he brings them purpose. And finally, he brings them power. But now here's the thing. Like, this is just a taste. This is just a taste. Look, Jesus Christ did promise, I'm going to bring my Holy Spirit. I'm going to bring him. He said this in John 14, 16. Come on, put on your theological thinking caps. It's good to have your Bible straight. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit's coming, the helper is coming, and he's going to be with them forever. Here's the problem. This is not the forever coming of the Holy Spirit. How do we know that it's not the forever coming of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples in this moment? Well, because John 16, 17 says, 16, 7 says this, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will then send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to you. The Holy Spirit's coming, he's going to be with them forever. The Holy Spirit's going to come and be with them forever after Jesus Christ ascends into heaven. 
check this, we know that Jesus Christ is going to build his church. We know that the Holy Spirit is going to come and be with his disciples forever. We know, this is awesome, just hang with me for a second. We know that Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church upon the rock, upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also know this. Jesus Christ said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he's going to be with you forever. Both of those things are true. If you know both of those things are true, just say amen. I will build my church on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will send my spirit and he will be with you forever. Check it. Acts chapter 2. Peter drops the rock of the gospel. He preaches it for the first time. The Holy Spirit descends and the church is born. Friends, that is clarity. That is clarity. The result of the mission, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the first preaching of the gospel resulted in the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. It's almost like in this moment. It was conceived. And they were given a foretaste. And oh, how they must have waited in that upper room. And oh, how they must have just wanted. And they were longing for the eternal indwelling of that spirit to come. And so by the time Acts 2 came, no wonder Peter was lit up. No wonder he preached like no man ever preached before. How gracious was it of God on the night of his resurrection to say, here's what's coming. It's going to be 50 days. It's going to be 50 days until the Holy Spirit's going to indwell them permanently. Oh, how long that wait must have been. Do you understand that you don't have to wait? Do you understand the Holy Spirit is indwelling you right now? Do you understand what you have within you? Come on, church. This is what it looks like. This is what it means. The Holy Spirit empowering us inside of you right now is this very breath of God who has saved you, who has sanctified you, who has secured you. He has set you on course. Come on, this is what the Holy Spirit does in you, and you're never going to write this down fast enough because I'm out of time. Here it comes. This Holy Spirit regenerates you, Titus 3, 5. He indwells you, Romans 8, 8. He helps you, John 14, 26, I told you. He teaches you. I'll send it an email. John 16, 13. <laughs> he gifts you. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. He guides and he fills you, Ephesians 5, 18. He comforts you. He intercedes for you. He convicts your soul. Praise God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which leads us to the final, the final verse. If you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it will be withheld. Again, the tense, the grammatical structure is so crucial here. What is John saying? There are names that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There are names that were chosen before the foundations of the earth. What's our responsibility? Preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. What's our responsibility? To proclaim this one thing. Those who embrace the gospel of Jesus are forgiven. Present imperative. It's, it's, it's present imperative. It's, this is an ongoing thing. It's already been done. It's structured in the perfect present tense. We can declare that you are forgiven because you've been forgiven by the Lord. And if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
This is our charge to proclaim this. Jesus Christ went to the cross to ransom sinners. Trust him as personal Lord and Savior. And this passage gives us the authority collectively to say, praise God, we're forgiven. And if we reject that gospel, this scripture gives us that same soul-wrenching responsibility to warn and say, you're not. And so today, every soul, every person that I lay eyes on, I assume that Jesus Christ is drawing them to himself. Why would you assume anything else? Every person who enters these doors, we want you to find joy. We want you to experience peace. We want you, we want you to know that the Lord has a purpose for your life, and we want you to know this. He desires to inhabit your life, to take over your life with joy and peace. The Lord desires for you to bend your knee to him, and we can proclaim today, if you trust his son as Lord and Savior, you are forgiven. But if you walk out of this place one more time, and you don't believe, and you don't bend your knee, and you snub God again, we can say with assurance, you are not forgiven by God. Don't worry about me or about us. Don't worry about what other people think. I just want you to know what God thinks. And what I want you to hear today is this, as he is graciously offering you the gift of salvation. So don't leave here as if we pronounce something rude. This is grace. And if you bend your knee today, you are among those who we can say, God has forgiven you. And if you're not sure, just ask him for forgiveness again. He doesn't mind. He doesn't mind. Is Christ your motto? Joy, peace, purpose, power. Would you stand with me now? Father, too often we've ignored the presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, forgive us for the times that we've done ministry. We've sought to live life outside of the power that you've afforded to us. For the ways in which we've lacked joy, for the ways in which we've allowed fear to grip us, God, some days it feels completely out of our control. And so, God, we're asking for the power of your Holy Spirit to come to remind us of the joy we have in you. Father, remind us of the peace that we can experience because you said it is finished. Father, flood our minds and our hearts with purpose. Help us to know with clarity why it is we're here, Lord God, please. You've called us all according to your purpose. Father, your Holy Spirit, May your Holy Spirit do his work in this place. Bring conviction upon me, upon those, all of us, and show us the ways in which we come short. God, for the one that you're drawing to yourself here today, for the many, perhaps, 
who need to confess your son as their Lord and Savior. Oh God, your scriptures tell us that we can, if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that your son, Jesus, rose from the dead, that we would be saved. God, please allow for someone in this room to, in their own words, cry out to you today that they believe, they want to believe, help their unbelief, God. Father, I pray that their prayer would include them asking for you to take over their life. They can do that in their own words, God. May they ask forgiveness. May they ask you to be their Lord. May they declare their desire to believe that Jesus died for them. And then, Lord God, may your Holy Spirit flood their heart. God, we welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit. We know, we know your Holy Spirit indwells us permanently. But Lord, we also know that you manifest your presence amongst the praises of your people. And so we welcome you here. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.